Well, the Premier League season is all done and over, but we've still got Champions League and Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. And with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results and players to score a number of goals and other things to create your own personalised bet. If you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the athletic podcast all about Everton Football Club. I'm Greg O'Keefe and as usual I'm joined by my colleague and fellow Everton writer for The Athletic, Paddy Boyland. How are you mate? Good, I'm, I'm alright. Um, be, obviously been quite a long week as, as you'll know um, and I'm sure we'll get on to talk about why that's been the case. But um, I'm just glad at the moment for the small mercies and usually as we go to record a podcast the seagulls of central Liverpool start congregating by <laughs> my my flat, my third floor flat, and uh, you see them all start squawking away, uh, which creates a lovely backdrop, I imagine, for, for our loyal listeners. Mm. Um, at the moment, touch wood, they haven't arrived, but I'm sure at some point they'll they'll grace us with their presence <laughs> and, um, and kind of make, make their presence known. So they're going to say it's either the, your seagulls, my seagulls, the geese by where I live, or my fridge, which will make an appearance <laughs> to the delight of Adonis, our producer, um, who is eternally plagued by our, our various soundtracks. <laughs> um, but we may as well try and make a well sun shines, and we've got a nice, tranquil background. On this week's episode, we'll talk about transfers. Richarlison, our best player, arguably our best player, and what hopefully will happen with him next. And how Everton approach recruitment, massive, massive sum of Everton off the pitch, and how they approach recruitment in general. It's worth pointing out that Paddy and I have been busy writing about these subjects, um, well, all season, but particularly last week uh, and this. And you can take advantage of a 30 day free trial right now. Read these articles plus loads more, like Jack Pitbrook's fascinating interview with Marco Silva, um, really eye opener there. Mm-hmm. And you can enjoy ad free podcasts as well by simply visiting theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. In fact, all week here at The Athletic UK, we've been celebrating our one year anniversary. And as part of that, we've unlocked a couple of articles to read for free. Uh, it was nice to be able to do that, wasn't it, Pat? You you went for one that, um, well, we both chose joint pieces and, and yours was one that uh, I, I really found fascinating to pull together. Do you want to tell us a bit, a bit about it? I think we, we were told first and foremost to make them pertinent. So... Certainly the piece I did earlier this season on why Marco Silva's 4-2-3-1 wasn't working in an attacking sense wouldn't have been <laughs> particularly relevant here. Um, I went for a piece on Davide Ancelotti that we compiled with David Ornstein. It's obviously still pertinent now. Davide Ancelotti is doing, um, as we're led to believe, a very good job. Um, and I also just think he's he's one of those guys that doesn't always get a lot of attention in the media we rarely are afforded the privilege of, of spending one-on-one time with somebody like him. And he's very much being packaged as this guy that's lived in his dad's shadow and, and perhaps rightly so in some cases, given how uh, successful Carlo has been in his, in his managerial and playing career. 
so far. But I think when we started to speak to people inside and outside of Goodison, what came back was fundamentally positive. I don't know if you agree, but it was I got the sense that he was he was really highly rated. We we kept yeah. on hearing positive things. So I think that was the basis of a piece. And one of the things I absolutely loved, uh, and it's only a minor thing really in the grand scheme of things, was the line about him being able to communicate because he speaks so many languages, being mm. able to communicate with every single member of the Everton dressing room, which may be a small point in isolation, but when you're trying to get messages across, particularly tactical messages, I think it's really quite important. Um, so that was good. He plays a big role on the training ground as well, as we've mentioned before, um, taking sessions, devising sessions with his dad. Um, I don't believe he actually calls Carlo dad, does he, when they, you know, <laughs> when, they, um, when they're having these discussions? And maybe that's for the best when you've got Duncan and, and various others weighing in on um, and giving their opinions. But he's, 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 he's very, very intelligent. He, like, like I said, he speaks multiple languages. He's got a good tactical knowledge. Uh, which he imparts on on the players and the staff. He's, he's a popular member of the team. But I think more than anything, we've seen a bit of a change in the way the Ancelotti camp deals with people, not just members of the playing staff or footballing staff, how they deal with everybody, a Finch farm in particular, but also Goodison, compared to maybe Silver. And I'm not, I'm not for one minute suggesting there was something cold or standoffish about Silver, he, he was not Ronald Koeman by any stretch of the imagination. But what, what I mean by that was Silver had so many Portuguese-speaking members of staff that it almost became a little bit cliquey is maybe not the right word, but something approaching that. Um, and yeah. while Ancelotti has uh, lots of Italians on his staff, they do make a big effort, we're told, to speak in English, to get messages across. If Davide needs to speak in other languages, then of course he can do that as well. Um, and they've him in particular, he's made a big impression. So I, I enjoyed putting that one together. Um, what I would say, oh, the seagulls are back, by the way. Hopefully. There we go. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure our listeners can now hear them. They've, they've heard that we're recording the podcast and they want to come and chat about Carlo Ancelotti, Davide Ancelotti too. <laughs> so um, while that's mildly off-putting, I'll kind of steer this on to the other piece that we picked, which was uh, about Seamus Coleman. Particularly pertinent, I felt, in light of Leighton Baines leaving the club. Feels like, I mean, it's a phrase used in relation to Brian LeBone, but the last Corinthian of modern Everton, Moyes Everton, perhaps. And that was a piece I loved putting together. I don't know about you. No, really did, yeah. And, you know, the Seamus Coleman piece, for example, that that I chose was... uh... One that, as you say, you know, kind of when we're doing these pieces, we speak to so many different people, don't we? You know, kind of scour, often scour like Europe to speak to different people who've got different insights into the topic. But with Coleman, a um, bit corny, but it was a genuine pleasure, wasn't it? Because it was only going to be positive things that anyone would have to say about him anyway. There's lots of different voices in that piece and, and they're, sort of, they're all very sort of respecting and affectionate and quite funny in parts about Coleman. Um, and just, I think it was just the sense of, of how he'd come through um, at Sligo and, you know, kind of pr- from pretty much grassroots football over there yeah. uh, via the, the Gaelic game. Just the sense that transfers like his probably a thing of the past now. We've spoken about this in the past, uh, regular listeners will know, but uh, 
I just think that that story is is very unique. I'm not sure you'll see that happen again. Um, no, I agree. Especially not for, for the fee as well, which no one needs reminding. But we will. 60 grand. Unbelievable, <laughs> isn't it? So um, both those pieces, uh, you know, if you didn't get to read them first time around or you, you've joined us since, they're free at the moment. You can go and um, check them out. Both Paddy and I uh, have tweeted about our free pieces. So you can just uh, either get them through the app or check it out on Twitter and, and go that way. Hi there, I'm David Ornstein and I've launched a brand new show on YouTube, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our athletic subscribers. To get your question answered, simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every Monday and I'll choose my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every Tuesday afternoon. Let's talk about transfers. Richarlison is the one where we'll start. Um, there's been rumours since last summer, hasn't there, or January rather, mm. about um, Barcelona, which was never substantiated and we're not sure if Barcelona ever actually, we don't think Barcelona even made a bid, but it, depending on who you believe, their interest wasn't uh, quite as con- concrete as some suggested. Nevertheless, it wouldn't surprise me if big clubs were beginning to circle and take notice. And by that, I mean Champions League clubs, I should uh, clarify. Can Everton afford to keep him at, you know, any price. Uh, he's the marquee player, so the fans adore him. He gets to the club. Ancelotti clearly wants to build squad around him, but those quotes that surfaced from Globo Sports last week, where he kind of spoke around the issue of if a big bid came in, they will have felt alarming for Etonians, won't they, Pat? Yeah, I think they, they will have done. and I wouldn't say it's a repeat of what we saw with Lukaku, and Morales, when Morales was actually good, but they kind of echo. They, they, they felt like they were a precursor in the cases of those players to them positioning themselves to move on, and in some cases actually worth just them positioning themselves. It was, it was effectively, mm. yeah, I'd quite like to play in Italy um, if Juventus or, or Inter Milan are around. I think that was in, in yeah. Rom's case. Uh, and um, they certainly didn't do anything to dampen speculation it's easier for players to speak when they're away from their clubs because if you or me or any of the the Merseyside pack go and interview Richarlison during the season we'll have uh, a media officer sat next to us and I I don't think the players will be quite so candid about their desire to leave when they're on international duty obviously they still have media officers with them but they don't have the same affinity to the club and things like this are more likely to come out. Now, they did sound a little bit of an alarm bell, even though I wouldn't maybe react in the way that I've seen some react. It just seemed quite matter-of-fact. Um, he'd been asked by Ancelotti to stay, he said. Uh, he likes playing at Everton, so he probably will give it another season, in his words. So it sounds as though nothing, from his point of view, it sounds as though he feels nothing is imminent. It's interesting you reference Barcelona because that was a really interesting example of what we're talking about. These things don't happen in isolation. These links, they are usually leaked by somebody, whether it's a club or an agent, and they're leaked for specific reasons. And that, again, sounded a warning bell to me, even if, as we're led to believe, an official bid never actually materialised. Both Everton and Barcelona actually reject that both in public and in private. Barcelona, if you listen to to some people, are are still following Richarlison and have been following him. Um, And I think other 
top teams have. In a sense, you would be silly not to, given how good he is and how versatile, how flexible, how much upside there is to somebody that's still only 23 and is already Brazil's number nine in most cases. But when you start to see, like I say, when you start to see rumours emerging like that, you wonder what's going on behind the scenes. Some of which we can piece together, but not everything, obviously. And now we fast forward however many months it's been, around six, and again, similar things are happening, albeit this time with quotes from Richarlison. So it is a warning bell insofar as it's an Everton player effectively saying, at some point, I want to play at the top, top level. Mm. We know Everton are not at the top level at this moment in time. And if we're being realistic, if the top level is the Champions League, it's going to take Everton a couple of years minimum, you would think, to get to those levels, barring something absolutely extraordinary from Carlo Ancelotti, Marcel Brands and the players. So that's always the risk when you have players that I would suggest are pretty close to being elite level. Richarlison is Brazil's number nine, as we said. He scored a penalty in the Copa America final last summer, bringing himself loads of attention. He's had another really good season in different positions this time around. And he's only 23, as we said, so... Somebody like that will inevitably draw interest and somebody like that will inevitably want to play at a higher level. Everton need to keep pace, as they weren't able to do with Romelu Lukaku, for example. Everton need to keep pace and convince these guys that Goodison is a place that they should stay and where they can fulfil those aspirations. But it's a tough task and it's not it's not solely Richarlison we're talking about here. I mean, I've written, written before about Luca Dean. And Luca Dean is another player who will not be short of admirers across the continent. Um, and in England as well, according to uh, according to some source and some reports. Yeah. Luca Dean is another one who, certainly if you look at left-backs in the Premier League, there aren't many that are better than him. He's a current France international. He's played Champions League before at some of the top clubs in uh, Europe. So he is another player for whom the Champions League will be a realistic aim. Everton need to get back there. If, if they want to keep these players, it, it's as simple as that for me because we can talk all day about positioning and rejecting big money bids and everything else. But we're in an era now where player power and agent power kind of rules the day. Mm-hmm. And if those guys decide that they want to go or they want to down tools, and I am not suggesting, by the way, that they would do this, but... Speaking hypothetically, if players suggested they wanted to go, they could down tools and they could make it very, very difficult for the selling club, supposedly, in negotiations. That's that's nothing new, by the way. (laughs) This has happened going right the way back to the kind of the the early stages of of the Premier League. But I think it's even more the case now, given high profile some agents are and and how they, they move around. So my worry is that Everton aren't able to keep pace for these guys and that in the end, well, there comes a stage where decisions need to be made. I'm not actually, by the way, I'm not actually solely advocating that Everton need to keep all these players. I know some people will say Everton need to keep all of their best players and they always need to do that if they are to progress. At times, cashing in and investing wisely and strengthening other areas of the squad is, is fine. It, 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 that can work. The thing that Everton Evertonians are burned by is the example from Lukaku, where I don't think that money was spent particularly wisely, and certainly it went. It was quite a while when, before Everton actually had a striker who could 
I mean, they, they haven't had anyone like that can match Lukaku's goals since he scored 25 in his final season and was second in the scoring chart for a side that had actually only finished seventh. Um, we've not had that since. We've still arguably not fully replaced his goals. That's the predicament. If you if you sell, you have to invest wisely. So that's the situation I think Everton are in. Do you, do you agree? I do actually. Yeah, um, I think that's the problem. Is it's it's as long as you said earlier, as long as you're not in Europe, but particularly Champions League, I think you're always going to be vulnerable to um, putting it bluntly, losing your best players to clubs who are. And and Ancelotti is a factor, and I think that will be enough this summer to keep Richarlison. If mm. Everton finish ninth, eighth, ninth, tenth again next season and aren't playing in Europe, then um, they, I'd imagine, they're facing uphill tasks to keep yeah. players like him. And again, as you say, Luca Dean. Well, it's not even so, Europa uh, League. I mean, we we talk yeah. sometimes about Europa League and getting back into Europe as being something that will keep players, and it might keep players at a certain level, but. These two aren't far away from being Champions League players anyway. And I think in Dean's case, he's, he, he could play Champions League quite comfortably. Already has. Richarlison as Brazil's number nine, you would assume, exactly. would be able to do so as well. Um, if not at a top, top Champions League club, at a, at a club that is able to, to, to compete regularly because of where, where they are in, in their, their domestic league. So I don't even think it's a case of Europa League. I think these guys will want Champions League football. So Everton need to go... What we're saying is Everton, in theory, needs to go from 12th, which is where they were this season, to 4th, 3rd, very, very quickly. And yeah, that, that's that's a daunting prospect. Well, whilst you mull over a daunting prospect, let's look on the bright side and ponder on one of life's finer things, beer. <laughs> do you like beer? And Do you like, in fact, free beer? Because as a valued listener of this podcast, we'd like to bestow that gift and what a gift it is upon you. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you've got the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash tidings. I'll say that again and put my teeth in. www.beer52.com forward slash tidings, as in glad tidings, and cover just the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener of Glad Tidings, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 beers, which is, I mean, probably nine too many for me if you, if you like my <laughs> drinking habits. <laughs> beer 52 are, are, are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they're the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots, which is obviously nice to hear. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. Yeah, the beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time, really. So the power's in your hands, you're not tied in. Um, and as well as the best, most interesting beer money you can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment which um, explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive. And a beery snack is thrown in just to top it all off. If you don't like dark beers, which in my case is actually true, you can choose the light plan, um, which is relatively straightforward and easy. I, I assume there you get your, your nice lighter beers, your blonde beers, your, your IPAs and stuff, which is right up my slightly hipster street. Are you outing yourself as a, as a massive lightweight there, Pat? <laughs> well, that was the suggestion earlier, wasn't it, when we were talking about the 10 free beers, and I was thinking to myself, hmm, probably only yeah. need the one there. 
I don't, I don't know. You'd have to ask various <laughs> other people whether they agree with that statement. I know, I know. All this beer talk's making me thirsty. It's only yeah. Thursday. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash tidings and get your case free. And don't forget, right now, Glad Tidings listeners get two extra free beers. Oh, come on, we're Evertonians. We deserve a drink, don't we? On the matters sort of off the pitch, um, which are going to be crucial to Everton's hopes of getting into those European places next season. Um, Paddy has done it. He'll be too uh, polite to say so himself, but he's done an absolutely fantastic piece on the site. Went up yesterday. Uh, like I said, we're recording on Thursday about how Everton's recruitment works. It's the most detailed, definitive piece about how under the current setup of, of Marcel Brands, um, the manager and the board, how Everton go and obviously filtering down into the recruitment department, scouting, how Everton source players and sign them. I cannot recommend it highly enough. But just remind people, I mean, they can obviously they can read it for a 30 day free trial on the Athletic now if they go to mm-hmm. athletic.com forward slash Everton pod. But just remind us what, what this piece, the, some of the detail that's in it. Yeah, so I think the first thing to say is that I think this is a particularly pertinent time to write a piece about Everton's recruitment. Not only have we had a lot of question marks, particularly from supporters, about the 2019-20 window, stuff that Marco Silva actually refers to and kind of gives his disappointments over in the article that Jack did on the site last week. Uh, again, check that out if you haven't already. But I think the the other thing is that obviously we're, we're throwing this ahead to the summer. Everton, we're led to believe, don't have bountiful pots of cash. They're going to have to be wise, prudent, bring money in. I don't necessarily think, or certainly Everton wouldn't want to suggest that it's sell to buy. Um, they'd be quick to point out, I, I think, that they the net spend, I think, was about 40 million last summer. But certainly they can't, just spend for the sake of it. There are financial fair play concerns. What I mean by that is they need to adhere to financial fair play. Lost a lot of money last season. So finance is going to be tighter there. I think the COVID situation changes the landscape for most clubs, unless seemingly you're Chelsea and you can spend all the money in the world. Um, So the emphasis here is on Marcel Brands and his network to do their jobs, earn their corn, and by players that are going to be suitable to Ancelotti's system and are going to move Everton forward. So what, what what we get, and I think there's been a lot of talk recently of meetings and transfer summits and, you know, all the usual cliches that come yeah. with the, 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 the kind of the overblown terminology, the exaggerated hyperbole that comes with um, the transfer market, the opening of the transfer market. But Everton's network meets often, meets frequently, meets every week. They have scouts positioned in all the major European countries. And I wasn't too sure how to package them, but Holland and Belgium as well. <laughs> I didn't know whether to yeah. include them with in, in the piece with, with France and Italy and all the places you would expect recruitment teams to be. But um, yeah, they, they have an Eredivisie scout. They have yeah. um, a Belgian league scout. They have a scout for South America. They have a guy that straddles Italy and the Balkans. The reason they have that scout is because they've commissioned reports, independent reports, and they found that the Balkans um, is one of the main providers of undervalued talent. 
Um, so, so yeah, obviously important for them to, to try and find that in the current climate. And then they also have guys, obviously, that work quite extensively in the UK. So they, they, they meet and it's a process, quite a thorough process, actually. Um, Brands, Brands' team, Greta Steins and the head of recruitment, various other guys feed in. There's a heavy focus on data, we're told, which is something that's been implemented since Brands arrived at the club in 2018 and Steinson joined soon after. Um, and certainly the data guys and other members of the team, um, Dan Purdy was another one that people tend to speak highly yes. of. And Dan Purdy yeah. is the, the head of scouting. You don't have to go far in recruitment and footballing circles to find people that are willing to speak positively about them. The same with Marcel, actually. Uh, and we've obviously written about that extensively before. I think the the difficulty in writing something like this is that we can highlight a lot of the good structures that are in place and the fact that they've got a recruitment and data side that, as, as one person put it to me, certainly on the data front, they're ahead of a lot of their Premier League peers. Um, maybe not Liverpool, maybe not Man City, and maybe not Brentford actually either in the Championship. But um, the, the difficulty here is that while the structures in place sound good and we're able to talk in positive terms about those there's obviously something occasionally going wrong with the process to get to the point where we're in need of what some fans would say needs to be a massive overhaul of the squad what people like us would suggest needs to be a gradual evolution of the squad where bit by bit they get players in I don't think either of us and hopefully I'm not putting words in your your mouth here mate I don't think either of us would be particularly happy with where the squad is at this moment in time. I oh, think we both advocate not. the need yeah. for kind of changes in core positions here. Yeah. We, we all know what those core positions are, so let's not bang the drum over, over the, those again. Um, and this is why I think you need to highlight sometimes that agents get involved, that top targets can't be secured. The example I gave was last summer when obviously one of the big targets was Wilfred Zaha. They didn't get him, despite suggestions that they would initially. And Marcel Brands obviously then spoke later on in January about how those rumours, or certainly the money being bandied around in gossip columns for Zaha, just was not realistic, given Everton's resources at the time. They got Alex Awobi, who was on a beach in Dubai at the time, not yeah. expecting to move. And let's be fair to Alex Awobi, I, 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 I think... He's obviously not the same kind of player as Wilfred Zaha. Zaha is a forward. He's a he's a, weak, a wide forward that drives at the opposition, scores goals, creates goals. Really dynamic. And Awobi can be dynamic, but it's in a different way. And he looks to create. So Awobi came up as a last-minute option. I think particularly the data, he's, he's good in a data sense. Um, better than some would think based on his performances this season. And... Um, that was how that one transpired. So we, we told a few of those stories and we looked at the network, how they work, when they meet, how they grade players, which I thought was quite interesting. I think one of the other interesting things that came back for me was that, yeah, they placed emphasis on European markets, particularly France and Portugal. Yes, they've moved away from, at one point, they had a full-time Scandinavian scout under Steve Walsh. Now they don't. They replaced him in 2018, shortly after Brands arrived. Um, Brands and Steinson are obviously really close. And as part of their process, they have decided to look at different markets, prioritise different areas. 
And I just think the aim, the overall aim is to be to recruit younger players to reduce mm. the age of the squad. Sometimes that means that you need to give those lads a bit more time to, to grow and develop because they're not the finished article. I don't think any of the players really Everton signed with the exception of Fabian Delph in 2019-20 in the summer would be what you would class as the finished article. Awobi isn't. Moise Keane isn't. They should grow over time. But what's happened, obviously, is that things have gone slightly askew and slightly awry, and that has placed more emphasis on this summer. So, yeah, it was was a a comprehensive look at what goes on um, across the club, who gets involved, who negotiates, all those kinds of things. So do check that out. It'd be much appreciated if you check, check it out. Like Greg says, there's a, a 30-day free trial if you're not already a subscriber. And if you are a subscriber, I hope you hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it certainly took an awful long time to put together. And yeah, there were loads of different concerns that we had to, to get over to, 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 to kind of push it past the finish line. So that, that yeah, that, that took up a lot of my time. And I'm, I'm glad that it's, it's there and, and ready for people to read now. Mm, yeah, likewise. Well, I enjoyed it. I think it just you know, underscores how nuanced and complex recruitment at a Premier League club is, but yeah. specifically how it works at Everton, as I say, do have a read of that. Well, thanks as always, Pad, and of course, thank you to you for listening. Please remember to hit subscribe so that you'll never miss a show, and leave us a review and a rating if you're feeling particularly generous. And um, A nice rating, though. Yeah, you just say <laughs> nice things. Don't, don't criticise the geese or, or, or the seagulls or, or my fridge, please. Um, yeah, be nice and uh, we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.